The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Brew Bar and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. And I will not go to my room. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Planet of the Apes edition. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me as always, your friend and mine, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hit me one time, Tom. Now that I know they're gonna not going to kill me, I don't enjoy them. <laughs> The them uh, referenced is cigarettes. Yeah. So that's either the screenwriter's projecting a future in which there are cigarettes not harmful to your health, or it's just a bunch of stressed out, like Hollywood executive types who are just like, oh, I wish cigarettes didn't kill you. Fantastic. I love it. Well... Ladies and gentlemen, today we are talking about Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, a 1972 film. Tom, we haven't talked about this, but these movies are going out at like a prolific rate. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, mean, one a year, 70, 71, 72. Like it's it's a it's a you know, it's an assembly line. Wow. Let's let's say made some money. Let's crank out the next one. I mean, it puts modern franchise movies to shame. It's like returning in twenty twenty two, and like December twenty twenty two after six years off. Right. Fuck off. June part one. Fuck off. <laughs> Put part one on the poster. Sorry, that was a very personal. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's like you wait six years for a bond movie and it just it's like it's perfectly possible to to crank them out and keep the quality up understood just work harder work harder just, hollywood yeah seriously <laughs> these movies are your fucking blueprint yeah yeah because they're also Strike doing while it the on, iron is hot they're also doing it on shoestring budgets <laughs> this movie goes down uh, to 1.7 million dollars <laughs> and you can see some of that on screen but you in you the usa can... and the world this movie still made nine million dollars and it has 36 percent on rotten tomatoes they're still making very good budgetary choices yeah i think overall they're they really capitalize on Using Century City as as, as you New know, York, all location for the for the movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which um, is perfect. But this movie was directed by J. Lee Thompson, and he's gonna oh. he's gonna helm the last two. He is, yeah, and he's he's done Guns of Navarone. I mean, Guns of Navarone, Cape Fear, Huckleberry Finn, a ton of Bronson movies. <laughs> really? Yeah, like at least three or four, and uh, Firewalker. I don't know if you remember that. That's like Chuck Norris and Lou Gossett Jr. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, this movie was at number one for one week. Which means it gets a sequel. Right. 
and and a sequel a it sequel. shall get. A cheaper sequel. <laughs> um, this is second to last for you. I think it is, yeah. And it was on my, uh, it was last on my list, but we both still it was, declare it a good movie. Right. That says it all, I think. I think it does. High standards in this series. You make you, you make one or two like conspicuous mistakes, you're right down the bottom of the list. <laughs> I think that's right. the story of this movie. It's like overall uh it's just overall it's as impressive as the other movies, but it, it makes one or two big blunders and and that said it catapults down to the bottom. Yeah. So we do not really have There's not a cold open, is there? The stuff with Armando It's straight in. It's right? The t- the titles come straight in, but also the my, my first note My first note is how to sweep and mop credits. <laughs> Well, like I say, this movie likes to educate you yeah. as well. The basics of hygiene. <laughs> well, I, I mean, my first, my for one, my first, very first note is no beach. That's a big departure. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> we're straight into the action. We get the date. The action begins Correct. immediately with the credits overlaying. Um, and it's immediately bleak as fuck. I mean, so uh, bleak. Picking up straight, straight with the repeated shooting of a baby chimp, we're straight into an underclass of color who are imprisoned. Yeah. Uh, and as always, there's an African American human authority there to either offset right, or just, accentuate just to, yeah. the the racism. I don't know which. I still don't know which. <laughs> I still don't know how I feel about yeah. About this there is being all so racist, many black but not so racist. We have a black man in charge of all the gorillas and the chimps and the. It's either I don't know. It's like it makes me think of O.J. Simpson in the Naked Gun movies or Sammy Davis Jr. in the Rat in the Rat Pack. Like, yeah. Is this? Are you trying to make yourself? feel better or do you want us to feel worse i don't know right um but and also i I guess one of the big another big departures maybe this is about having a new director and or just a new style of movie Mm -hmm. it's very mobile yeah uh camera camera work sort of lots of handheld tracking that begins the movie i don't feel like we've seen that before in the series and the buildings themselves, the look of the, the movie, look of the movie is very different. Entirely dominated by late nineteen sixties brutalist architecture. Yeah, um, but I still revel in kind of. I just find it delicious that what's so always clearly California is being represented as New York. <laughs> right, <laughs> makes me uh, laugh. And it's well, yeah, it's Century City, which is yeah, built I mean, on the old Fox Ranch. Yeah, exactly. But it's a very canny move that uh, to use that location. I mean, it was brand new. Fox owned it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, like a large retail commercial com- residential complex. Um, and it's just such a great stand-in for, a, you know, um, a dystopian near future. <laughs> it's yeah, like right. perfect and then, you know in other 70s sci-fi movies would the clockwork orange use the brutalist architecture of the leeds university campus to good effect okay yeah i think that style of architecture was just a, a gift to 
science fiction movies of the 70s. Um, <laughs> of this time, yeah. Yeah. It, fit, it, it does, built I, right into the to the apocalyptic nature of what was going on on screen at this time. And weirdly enough, and, you know, I think this is this is happenstance, but weirdly enough, it, it it's supposed to be the early 90s, right? Yeah, 91, I think. Yeah. And it's kind of still what America looks like in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> At least, you know, malls and retail complexes mm-hmm. still look like that. So it kind of, it works. It, it's, it, the, the, this, this look hasn't dated at all no i don't think no um it can still be used to represent now and the future which was what they were trying to do by setting it 20 years in the future well and so let me ask you this right off the top because one of my notes at the beginning is um you know we have this scene where ricardo montalban is showing up with what's he's talking about his prized chimp from from for the circus and he's basically I thought you might go I thought you might start with this <laughs> he's <laughs> and he's you know passing out his flyers but my note is like we just keep having exposition dialogue good time jamboree yeah uh but it fits his long-winded storytelling mode as a character it absolutely very well. it it so feels Mr. Rourke <laughs> yeah, but it's it's you know we know it's a catch up. We know it's exposition yeah. for you know the people who who haven't seen or forgotten the last movie and have no other way to see it. Um, but you know, it, it in the in the voice of Armando, it feels it feels right. It doesn't because, feel you know, it doesn't feel as he's cursed. Sca- yeah, he can scare away police with his parade of animal facts. So <laughs> I thought you were actually gonna. Um, I thought you were actually going to go with the, um, the implausibility of him bringing Milo there in the first place. Well, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot. There's a lot here that doesn't really make sense. You could bring Why any helicop- animal from your circus. <laughs> Why you're going to show up with the one with the one animal yeah. that's going to you're going to immediately induce post-traumatic like or traumatic stress yeah. to what he's going to see and take him to the place where he is least safe in the world yeah exactly um not a lot of helico- not a lot of foresight there also helicopters seem to have become public transportation <laughs> uh that i'm not sure it seems an awful waste of fuel to me for such an efficient society yes um, and I, I, you know, I, I feel like the, the, there's a detail in here that makes me think that Armando's really poking the prophecy bear here, mm-hmm. which is he, he's trained Milo to ride horses, <laughs> which, as we know from previous movies, it's... apes on horses is uh, not a good combination, yeah. especially where humans are humans concerned. are not gonna like it. <laughs> it's, it's gonna, it's gonna give your the humans nearby, the jitters. I mean, but just the other thing that's so striking about uh, about these early scenes is is just how completely on the nose they are. Um, you know, we talked about how the, the the metaphor of the apes is kind of 
loosey goosey you know it can sort of be used to represent anything but here it's very very strongly mm-hmm. they are now african americans in in u.s society and how they're treated yeah like explicitly no like no co- constantly hearing no oh i see <laughs> no no but no. it just it, this i mean like it's it's really interesting because you know it's the early 70s and you know, this movie is being made by a bunch of white people, mm-hmm. and it feels like this is the only way they can come to terms with the harm they've done to African Americans throughout the history of America. Do you think they were even conscious of that, though, at that time? I'll tell you how conscious they were of it. They tested this movie in Inglewood. Wow. In front of an entirely black audience. And they. They wanted to. They wanted to see whether what they were doing actually read to the black community at large, mm-hmm. and they said that at, at the end it was like a riot. Like literally, they were, people were whooping and cheering, throwing stuff at the screen. Like wow, that's they totally got it. Amazing. And contrast that when they. Uh, I think it was they also tested it in. I think Ohio. <laughs> and the, the, so the rever- the mirror effect of that was that mothers took their children out of the theater and left. No kidding. Yeah. So they were very conscious of this. So conscious, in fact, that the ape oh, revolution... This, this makes it ape, rise a little bit for me. <laughs> that the ape revolution at the end of the movie was specifically based on the footage from the Watts riots in 1965. Wow. All conscious. Completely. I have no hesitation in saying these guys knew what they were doing. But it's just funny. Well, not funny to me, but it it's kind of... It makes me laugh that they couldn't just do a movie about how badly African-Americans are being treated and like use real locations right. of real actors. It's like you still have to dress them up as, as apes, apes. To, to get there. Yeah. It's like the only way they can cut. But it is. It's like, a. I mean, later on in the movie, Breck's, uh, Don Murray as Breck, his monologue will explicitly say, you know, we're trying to exercise our historical trauma of how. Yeah, he does have. You. Yeah. And so, there's a lot think, of that in this movie yeah. that, like, character... There's a lot of slavery talk. Like, a lot. Yeah, right. The word slave comes up again and again. <laughs> oh, well, how about um, signs that say slaves are scabs? But this, I mean, this, this is where, for me, the movie is incredibly sophisticated in how it handles the ch- subject because it anticipates the conflict between race and work that we'll see in, in, you know, in organized labor for the next 20 or so years, like debates we're still having about, you know, I was going to say, because it feels relevant right now too. It's kind of crazy. I mean, to me, I think historically this was a, this was a direct response to something that had recently become federalized, which was affirmative action federalized in the Nixon administration. And I think that's the direct reference they're making here mm-hmm. with with the way that, um, you know, human labor unions are protesting the use of apes as labor. But because those are exactly the same kinds of conflicts that are going on 
between white and black American um, workers and professionals in the age of affirmative action. But yeah, it absolutely speaks to the same debates that uh, same debates and diatribes that happen now when it it comes to, you know, the idea of foreigners coming over and taking, you know, domestic jobs. So the movie is right on the money both then and now with that. Right, yeah. Which is really all you can ask from a dystopian science fiction movie. <laughs> right. Speak to your own time and speak to a possible future. A possible future. Which, because it is a dystopia, is our future. Mm-hmm. And once again, I've said this again and again, whenever we do a dystopian science fiction movie, I have a moment where I'm jealous of their dystopia. <laughs> that I prefer their dystopia to mine. And in what this was the movie, moment? In this movie, it was when there was a an alert over the the PA system that said, um, you know, shit's going down or whatever. Bad stuff happened. Bad stuff's happening. Right. Um, and uh, re- it said, remain indoors. And everyone immediately goes to their homes. And in the, you know, in, you know, after a year of trying to get people to stay home. Right. To stop a pandemic spreading and no one fucking did i'm like these guys have you know they've got a lot of things wrong but they got this but they got that right (laughs) (laughs) well for me the the parts where uh like what what put this at the bottom of my list are basically coming up right now now (laughs) yeah i I I, i'm with you on that i have to kind of pull back from this a little bit because in the last movie I did not at all remember a line referencing the pets. So, well, yeah, but this makes way more of the but, pets. But how this is made like with with pet shrines of like like doggy statues and I said cuz one of my notes is you live in California, Michael. Do you not think that this is that the people would not erect shrines to their dogs. You know, I mean, the way we, I, 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 this does not phase me at all. This idea that you know we sentimentalize our pets to the extent that, you know, if they if they left, it would throw the whole human ecosystem into out of whack. Disrepute. But yeah. to the point of, so I guess, the causality of it to me is bonkers. <laughs> Well, yeah. So, I mean, in the last in the last that. movie, we spent an entire ninety minutes. Well, not the entire, but like the second half of forty five minutes of chasing two ultra smart <laughs> apes. Because yes. if they don't die, it will ruin the human race. Right. And then the very first thing we see in this movie is uh, an eloquent speech from Armando about the pet crisis and how that necessitated giving us thousands of apes. (laughs) Yeah. Apes came in to fill the gaps where pets were To fill in the gaps where where there were no more pets. So far, so good for me. Oh, to me, like... <laughs> so where where's uh... but the, but then but it's it's I think it makes total sense because the story from that point onwards is that they could humans couldn't handle having pets that were actually you know 
biologically connected to them and were mirror images of them, and they turned them into a slave worker well, class. Where's Hasline, though? Where's Hasline saying, there's no fucking way you're going to do that? What are you, out of your mind? Yeah, so... Oh, I forgot. We, so, Did, he gets shot at the end of the last one, doesn't I he? I think he does, yeah. That's right. So um, maybe that's and then why. He has a, then he has a curve named after him. Yeah, exactly. In, in memoriam. Um, so there's a couple of big things here. Uh, the first is that we, we, we have mentioned that dogs and cats died out. <laughs> the virus that killed them all. Pet but what crisis. they add here, which is really important because it changes everything, is that it, it was Cornelius and Zira and Milo who brought the virus back in time. Right. The pets died because they, when they came back in time, they brought a virus with them. So we're into full paradoxical storytelling now mm-hmm. because they have created their own future at this point. Yeah. That part of it is good. But they no. Well, I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying that that's where we are now. Well, like, I like the had, cyclical effect of, of it, paradox. and we talked about that in the last episode. But there was only seeds of it. This is. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge shift for me. Um, into a completely alternate timeline, created by the paradox of them going back in time. Um. I know we call it the Hasline timeline. I don't know what what you. Would call I don't it. know what else to call it. Um, but, uh, I mean, that, that's, that kind of, that changes everything, Mm -hmm. I think, um, to add that in, but it's also, you know, it continues the trend of, we're going to sneak in a new bit of mythology every time we do any exposition. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, it is the apes brought the, the apes created the virus that killed the dogs that lived in the house that Jack built. Perfect. All uh, right. I mean, well, let's let's take our first break uh, because okay. soon Caesar's gonna talk, but I want to talk about Caesar and you know we, we got to talk Roddy McDowell uh, playing his own son. Yeah. So let's this, take a break. This franchise does not like to lose cast members. I'll tell you what. But it likes to kill a lot of them off. <laughs> right. We'll be right back right after this. If you're anything like me, you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine. Whichever way you fall, Brew Bar has you covered. Located in the heart of 3rd Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods, Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar, and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place, and let me tell you listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company, So will you. They turned me on to pour over, and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. 
Brew Bar. It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, you might even see me. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, the 1972 film. All right, Tom, so Armando... Probably the title that makes least sense. Yeah. Cause <laughs> of all of them. Yeah. I think they're all pretty good. They're all good. pretty good, but it's not... It should have been called ra- Race-Based Radicalist Socialist <laughs> Revolution of the Apes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Maybe that wouldn't have tested might, well. Yeah, exactly. Except in Inglewood. Wouldn't have gone down well Not in, in Ohio. Ohio, though, Tom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Armando makes this inexplicable choice of bringing Caesar. <laughs> so, and, yeah. well, let's talk... Cannot it... Yeah. You know... Like you said before we went on the break, this movie does not like to get rid of cast members. So you have Roddy McDowell back, but he is not playing Cornelius anymore. He is now playing the son of Cornelius and Zira. Yeah. Is he is he called by name before is he called Milo before He's, yeah. he picks his own name of Caesar? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, they, they sort of make that, well, I mean, the recasting works because it keeps Roddy McDowell in the series and that's sort of really all that matters. I agree. I agree completely about that. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you think it seems strange, but no, like there's just, (laughs) there's there's a, there's a great moment later on in the movie where I think it's Culp who's looking at a, a, a image of Cornelius. Right. And he says, says, do you see a resemblance? Yeah. And there's a great in-joke there of, of, about him playing his own son. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's... You're keeping Roddy McDowell's... I mean, also, there's not a great number of people who can pull off this style of acting. He's so good and in we know all he can. of these movies. Yeah, even the one he's not in, he's great. <laughs> Um. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I mean it's. Well, the, also the fact that for the for for the one of the parts of the one of the fake outs of the movie that I really like, one of the suspension of disbelief that I actually enjoy is that he's pretending to be like an uncultured yeah. ape, which almost makes you think for a second. Oh wait, what was that? Like, are they retconning the swap? Mm-hmm. Is he just was he just that ape all along for a few minutes while he's you know biting that guy's clipboard and stuff? Yeah. Um, so it really made. But I mean, for me, the core of this movie is just is is the you know the, in the last movie it was Cornelius and Zira and their their um their engagement as man and wife. To me, it's all about Armando and Caesar as father mm-hmm. and son. I find those those scenes between them oddly moving. Yes, I find it. I, I every time I watch this, I think I I struggle with that scene where they part, where they separate. when they separate exactly. And Armando's and the scene before so that, hard. the scene before that, when he says, "You know, I'm sorry," he goes, "No, no, 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 don't you apologize." Yeah. You know? Oh. 
I mean, you know, Milo could conceivably say, well, why did you fucking bring me here in the first right. place? Leave me at the circus. <laughs> bring a camel or something. <laughs> you know? <laughs> bring an animal that's not going to bring about the destruction of humanity, maybe. Just a thought. Um, but uh, it just all of that, I just find incredible. Like, again, that emotional core, which makes the difference in every single one of these sequels. No matter how bleak and despairing it gets, you can there's always, always a ho- Yeah, there's always something you can hook into emotionally. And I, I mean, I, I think... Because Armando dying, not being killed, he commits suicide mm-hmm. by jumping out of a window. Yes. You can't forget that aspect right. of it. He's not killed by anybody. He makes that choice himself. Um, is the trigger moment that, that turns Milo into a revolution. But, but, but it's, also, it's also self, it's also uh, uh, sacrificing because he doesn't want to give away any information. Right. I, yeah, but it, it's again, it's just like it's another part of this movie that just kind of fumbles some plot points Mm -hmm. and that's one of the plot points i think they fumble a little bit um but that's what makes turn caesar into a revolutionary and i I wish it was a less personal reason oh i see because there's enough happening to him in terms of without it having to be yeah with yeah but so i think once or twice that the, the emotion you know undercuts or walks back some of the political power of the movie but i'm glad it's there and i couldn't do without Mm -hmm. it because it is just it's so well acted and so well written in those moments well and what sets all of this in motion because we're we jumped ahead a little bit but they witness what the uh, is basically just the local cops right just yeah just you know local security or whatever classic 2020 cop beating of a uh, someone they deem racially inferior. Yeah, exactly. So, the cops are yeah. beating up the apes, and and mm-hmm. what does what does Caesar say? Lousy, lousy human, bastards. human bastards. Thank you. If only if only Armando wasn't a a virile Latino and sounded a bit more like yeah a, <laughs> a little a more gay white American man. If <laughs> <laughs> every all this catastrophe could have been avoided. Exactly. Um. Yeah, I, I it's I mean it's a it's a it's a great moment that like the the when Roddy McDowell realizes what he's done. Mm-hmm. It's it's a great acting moment. It's my overall problem with the plotting of this movie, and you'll probably agree with this, is there's too much melodrama and coincidence driving the story sure. that you don't need. And every every moment like this is very clunky and doesn't c- cut rise organically out of the story. Right, you have to work yeah, really it's... hard to even get Caesar into, even get Milo slash Caesar into a situation where he could be in this partic- predicament. Because yeah. he at the beginning of the movie, I guess that's the, the corner movie they wrote strains into. to put him into situations yeah. to to get the desired result <laughs> of where he's going as a character. And it's where Armando is both a, a you know, a benefit to the movie emotionally, but he's also a liability story-wise. Yeah. Because really Milo 
is immediately in danger as soon as Armando brings him dies. Or, well, no, I mean. Oh that, yeah, I see what that, you mean. That you you could do another version of this movie where suddenly, because you know he's sa- we know he's safe as houses as long as he's in Armando's circus. Right. But if something happens to Armando or his circus, he's screwed. He's he's back in you know he's back in danger territory again. So that I think that would have been the better way to go. But I also don't want this movie to be without Armando and because uh, I think he's the mo- emotional core yeah, of the is. movie and the link to Cornelius and Zira and all those things. But there was pro- possibly smarter ways in which to integrate him into the story. Well, and I, you know, I think the movie strains because, so you have that moment and then they, luckily there's a commotion and they're able to kind of walk away and they go into what to me looks, just looks like an abandoned building. And Armando says, I, I I have to solve this problem on my own. I can't have you there. Let me do this. And like you said, it's it's emotionally wrenching that they have to separate. Yeah. Um. And it's great that. But um. But then that's immediately followed up by Caesar, Milo, Milo at this time making what to mm-hmm. me was kind of an inexplicable choice of leaving that stairwell and then getting into a cage and locking himself in with a bunch of other yeah. apes. Yeah, they have to work like, really hard. Why to are you get doing that? Everyone into these situations, yeah. You know, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. And all of that is just to get him to the next narrative point where he's going to see the extent to which yeah. you know the the racism that that is befalling his his fellow apes. Yeah, it, it's and it's also a shame they went with that that uh, story point because again we have terrible ape makeup right, work yeah. on the primitive apes in Cause, the, cause, so just, and, then, and that's funny too because we once again have the budget cut, but this is the movie yeah. with like the most apes. I mean, there's just there's apes everywhere in this movie. <laughs> apes are popping. Yeah, uh, yeah, and. You know, we see we see the apes basically doing every menial job there is going in restaurants, in, ways that are in custodial work, coded like as yeah, pe- uh, people of color jobs like they're specifically coded that way, down to you know calling the um, the guy who serves them the flambe at the restaurant Frank when he after he lights the cigarettes says thank you Frank. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, you know, it's literally like they have come in to take the spot of an un, of an underclass that has disappeared. Right. It's very historically savvy about you know, it's just it, it it's you know, it's about how how minorities are, you know, a worker class for a while. They achieve some kind of currency in American society and then another group comes in, takes the same, you know, lowball role. Right. And the cycle just keeps perpetuating it, but they've gone through all the now they've gone through all the ethnic minorities and all they have is other species mm-hmm. <laughs> to go to. It's it's this movie is wildly sophisticated in so many ways, which is makes it's why these moments that are lazy melodramatic storytelling right, yeah. really sting. Because if they didn't have that, this this would, would be, be right one of the most talk one of the most talked about movies of I mean. Within the Apes franchise, it is one of the most uh, ambitious and bold and powerful. 
for sure. But beyond that, but also it's not clunky, <laughs> very very clunky, and and you know the surface of it is not doesn't do the job that the content um, deserves needs it to. Yeah. Well, and so then we have we have Milo being taken and kind of it's a fairly long extended scene of him viewing the training ape management and ape management through hostility well it, this is what this is where it's i mean i mean he's seeing very he's vi- seeing for those that haven't seen he's seeing apes learning their new behavior through yeah. flamethrowers through torture through yeah. Especially the word no, like no is the word yeah. they hear the most. Uh, slapping, beating, Which, hitting, yeah. cursing, anything that shouldn't befall an intelligent creature befalls all the creatures in this movie. Well, it's a very vivid graph- graphic yeah. representation of incarceration. Um the, the focus on electroshock therapy, again, that legacy of experimenting on mm-hmm. people of color throughout American European history, is it's all there. What lets it down is that kind of kitschy surface yeah. through which all these things are represented. The disco lighting, the funky guitars. And this sort of... Sometimes they just don't need to work so hard. Like the invisible force field prison bars. Right. I mean, that would look kind of advanced in the 23rd century. It's 20 years. I mean, yeah, I right. We sent this in 69. We sent this fucking. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. This this time traveling rocket ship into space, <laughs> whatever. But I mean, just a um, few short years after landing on the moon. It's like you you don't need to work that. Like everything is, you know, it would still read as as and everything that you do to make it seem kind of futuristic i suppose is what they're going for mm-hmm. undercuts the the impact right. of, of what we're seeing it should have been more like the what's happening is so raw you need the the execution of it to go along with it and i think they fluff that aspect of it a little bit but what they don't fluff for me is the moment where the... milo is introduced into a um a cage with some other yeah eggs. he's given a banana he breaks the banana up into pieces and divides it equally amongst everyone. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's advocating for a race-based radical socialist solution <laughs> to injustice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they just it, that that's all you need to do. It's moments like that in the movie. It, it, it it's the clarity of yes, exactly of what it's right. saying. There's no there's amb- no amb- there's I was no gonna ambiguity. say there's no ambiguity. But that's powerful. Mm-hmm. That, that that lack of ambiguity is powerful, and uh, in, in directly saying, "This is how you change. This is things. how you make things better. It's this. It's this. It's this easy and this difficult. Right? You know, it's it's like it's it's just beautiful because they uh, won't do it. And then again, I think my, one of my biggest problems with this movie is is the. They don't manage the shifts in tone very well. Well, yeah, and we and especially like phys- juxtaposed against the last movie, who that does it so well. And within this, you know, like when, like we we have we see ape management, and you know we see these images of incarceration and torture, 
and and slavery and subjugation. And in the middle of it, we had the physical comedy sequence with Ruddy McDowell, you know, washing his hands in a very effete, mm-hmm. uh, civilized way. And I, you know, I understand the impulse to use Roddy McDowell's comic talents to their limit, but this sure. is just not the place to do it. It makes light of what is around it, and the music mm-hmm. is is well, and also it's specifically not... comedic. So it's saying, "Hey guys, you right. know, it's like a laugh track. It's like you're yeah. supposed to be laughing at this. It's like, well, that's you know, it's it's not the right time." And not only that, it's like not even... the, it's not right. For Caesar, like he's he's outing himself in a way that's dangerous to his true, you know, his, d- d- dangerous to his mortality. Probably like the better version of this is later on in the movie where he's getting, you know, he's organized the apes to bring him the weapons and yeah, contraband yeah, yeah. items. And what is it? What is it that the one of the apes brings him? It's like a totally useless item. Oh, I don't he remember. pretends like he pretends that it's he kind of like holds it up all non-verbally. Yeah. He does like goes, yes, very good. Yeah. Like with his eyes, goes, yes, very right. good. Um, that's a better version of this because it doesn't undermine, you know, it doesn't undermine the character or right. the place in the story or what's going on around it. And I think music actually suffers in this movie a little, a little bit. I don't think I don't think Tom Scott has got the has got the kind of. He certainly doesn't have the grasp that Jerry Goldsmith did in that previous movie. Because the Jerry Goldsmith never punctuated the comedy in Escape. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't doing like, well, we we have a very recent precedent for that in Halloween 5. (laughs) Right. Yeah, he didn't. He did not Halloween 5 it for sure. And here you know where you're supposed to be laughing because the music changes to something that's specifically comedic, but you don't want to laugh because it's it's overdoing yeah. it. It's too hammy, and it's wrong. Um, yeah, but I, I I mean I did I did very I very much enjoy and was also disturbed by the scene, which I think is the right reaction to Roddy McDowell and Natalie Trundy being mated. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. Autobiographically, metatextually, so much going on here. <laughs> you know, the fact that she's played two other character, two other human characters in the movie, right. in, in, in the, the movies. Previous. The fact that he's playing his own son. The fact that she's Arthur P. Jacobs' girlfriend. It's getting pretty meta. Roddy McDowell <laughs> is gay. You know, all of it is like it's it's just uh, it's a, it's a fantastic scene though. Um, it's it's yeah it's really it's but I mean again that dark that history of slavery is underlying that moment right you know making slaves mate with each other to create more to slaves create, that's right. what's going on here yeah you know well they recognize something that. special in Caesar and so they want more of it right uh, and you know and closely followed up with the slave auction I was gonna say yeah. Which is as explicit as it gets. I mean, and talk about get, hitting I mean, the, the nail on the head. Like there's, there's no subtlety in, in that scene and the well, imagery and what's but, happening. But the sophistication. No, yeah, it's yeah. Sort of say, it's it's very you know like, it's it's very specific historically. It's slave auctions, letting slaves name themselves the way that slaves were made. It's not like, 
it's not abstract uh, in a way that you know is unhelpful it's actually it's it's just it's on the nose but it, in a way that is all about saying you know look at your own history look at what you've done mm-hmm. like so confronting american audiences with the evils that they well did and it's and interesting do. to me too because of this idea of who milo was and caesar will become because he chooses yeah a different name right you know he knows he has to become something different mm-hmm. and that's you know from yeah, a writing standpoint absolutely. that's all great stuff as you know well that's as good as I it gets the, for the you know i i love that in this movie the writing and performance as well of of the two main human characters besides armando Two new human characters, mm-hmm. uh, Brett yeah. and McDonald, I think, is also excellent here. Don Murray is doing the acting of his life. Oh, he's so it's... good. I don't see him play villains much. I mean, there's always like whenever I've seen him, he's always played like pathologically happy-go-lucky characters. <laughs> like he's a good enough actor to suggest that you know this guy's a little too you know wild or, right, right, or right, too right. happy-go-lucky. But here. I mean, he nails that performance, uh, and you know, Mac- to a T. McDonald does the McDonald does the sympathetic human, but in a way that is like sort of much more raw and mm-hmm. less apologetic. Yeah. You know, he just says, "Hey, remember when I was a slave? Remember how you treated me then?" You know, like, yeah. like it like makes no bones about it. And their conversation where he says, "You know, brightness was never much um, encouraged in slaves," and then. That I mean, that in itself is beautiful. But then Breck's response is the current line of the GOP, Mm -hmm. which is, we were all slaves in one way or another. It's like, oh my God, this movie understands racism and white colonialism to an extent that is still horrifically present now. Yes. Like, we were all, I mean, I I just couldn't, and he, you know, he throws that line away beautifully as well because, you know, that's how yes, that's how they work. <laughs> yeah, and he and you know in the end you realize he knows he's a racist and and uh, he thinks that's the right way to be, mm-hmm. and that makes it a more interesting character than someone who's just ignorant. Like he's intelligent enough to understand what he's that what he is doing is racism. He just believes that racism is the right is the path. right way. Yeah, crazy. Well, oh. on that note, let's take a break. <laughs> and then we'll come back. Maybe this movie is better than, than we think it I is. I think, uh, like, I'm starting to... I'm no. starting to forgive its narrative deficiencies and starting to love uh, it all the more. That disco lighting takes away a lot of Yeah, things. that's true. All right. We'll be right back right after this. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. 
and so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, a movie that will only grow darker as we talk on. (laughs) (laughs) It's like we both experienced a traumatic event. And now that we're sharing it with each other, it's like, right. oh yeah, that, oh yeah, it's like, oh yeah, we nearly died in that car crash, didn't we? Oh right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was something, wasn't it? <laughs> well, but it's funny because so you have the auction, and then you have this moment a little bit later on, and the performance you, you alluded to it, but Harry Rhodes as McDonald hmm. is a, I just love him in yeah. this movie and I, I really wish he was in the next I wish we didn't have a surrogate <laughs> I think the the screenwriters also wish yeah. that uh, he he would come back um uh, yeah but you you know so you have these moments where now Caesar is saying our only way through is revolution like this is what it has to be yeah, and then he outright says, "You of all people should mm-hmm. understand this." Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, and it's, it's remarkable to me that this character. We're endorsing black power, right? Basically, at this yeah. moment. Yeah. But in reality, even though metaphorically, of course, all the apes are representing African Americans. But in his reality, he's a human and they are apes. And he's thinking to himself, yeah, let's give him a shot. (laughs) Right. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. I love that this movie works on that level. It definitely works on that level. I mean, even... Obviously, it's the very end of the movie that, that really walks back the revolutionary message in a in a particularly clunky way. Yeah. But there are early on, you also get the sense whether these are reshoots or not. I don't know. I know this movie was re-edited to reduce its uh, revolutionary content, like specifically, you know, studio mandated. Hmm. Um, but they are trying to play both sides of the fence with regards to the civil rights struggle. So we do sure. see, like, before we get to revolution, we see them try out nonviolent resistance. Yeah, right. By, you know, basically downing tools and refusing to serve humans. So there is, there is, but I think, you know, that works within the, within the allegory. It's not an allegory anymore, is it? That works within the theme (laughs) of the movie because, you know, anyone who knows anything about the more uh, proactive violent side of civil rights struggles know that it, you know, it's the last resort when, peaceful solutions don't work anymore. don't work right so i like that they you know that they work through that um but they still come down on the side of no we actually need to take up arms against mm-hmm. our oppressors 
and then they walk that back and i guess that's the big um tragedy yeah. is that they they do that um because it's kind of perfect without it <laughs> <laughs> right but you know, uh, the, it's the, we're starting to get it. I mean, this movie is, <laughs> like I said, it's it's immediately a very dark, disturbing movie, and it stays that and way. And it just throughout. stays there, right? Um, but particularly that that you know, seeing uh, Caesar get tortured with electroshock therapy, yeah. like I actually have the note here, you know, that this is probably where the mothers took their kids out. Like, yeah, right. Because it because it's it's torture with no cutaways or frills no no we don't cut away to the rest of the apes like in escape does with the gorilla murder Mm -hmm. it's like you see it all right well not just that but you're seeing like what a performance from roddy mcdowell wow yeah and it's again it's a shame it's so melodramatic and clunky disconnecting the the wire to the table and why the fuck wouldn't the guard notice the needles not going yeah even though he's seems like he's being shocked and all, it's just stupid. <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's but you uh, have to forgive. Traumatic. It. The depiction of it is absolutely traumatic. Yeah, and then you know a good chunk of this movie is relentless slaughter. I mean, just just one scene after another, <laughs> like nonstop. I, yeah, I mean, and a lot of it's like kind of dark and mysterious because like at first you'll see Caesar walking off by himself (laughs) and you'll just hear people calling after him no 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 stop and then he hides and I mean you know speaking of darkness it's it's certainly that like the 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 lighting is certainly the right type of moody but well for their budget too (laughs) well the nighttime eight revolt scenes I just said it's just too damn dark you know, but that's all like, just to hide how few apes well, they also, actually could put in costume. It's also hashtag 70s problems. Because, <laughs> you know, the biggest movie of this year is The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Which also has scenes. And also yeah, has yeah, scenes that's true. With cinema, cinematographic, cinema, cinematographically deliberate scenes that are, you Underlit. cannot see. Yeah. <laughs> so I think maybe maybe it's a combination of both of like wanting to keep the budget down, and you can still kind of see that they're reusing all the same shots. Oh yeah, even though it's dark. But well, I like I like sort that. Of, kind it just of it looks mo- the it makes the movie look a little bit smaller in scope. Yeah, uh, because you're seeing that that you're we're clearly kind of reusing certain parts of that Century City. Yeah place uh for multiple scenes you know yeah um where they take over one line of cops and then go to the next but it kind of looks like the same spot <laughs> right i mean they kind of make it work it, the, the that sort of elliptical montage effect mm-hmm. it really kind of visually manifests the shock value of, of what's happening right to me um and like later on in in the in the the ape riot, there's like killings on the steps of a building. Yeah. And I wondered if they considered the tagline "It's King Kong meets the Battleship Potemkin," <laughs> but probably probably wouldn't play well in Ohio. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Ohio could appreciate it. 
But what I I did find interesting about those battle scenes were that, I don't know, going into them, I I almost kind of fully expected a more um, Braveheart, like, hey, we don't expect them to come from over here. And there's some of that, but it was... Not not much, but it's just but like the idea of thrown at each other. Yeah, like well, dying, and, and not just that, but like the idea that Caesar is just allowing himself and all the other apes to walk towards them, knowing that whatever advantage they have, it's a small advantage, mm-hmm. and apes are gonna die. <laughs> like yeah. they're gonna shoot into. They're getting mowed uh, down. Yeah, into a crowd of apes, and we just have to, like, weather it and then get to them. And that's yeah, I, fucking yeah. hard and bleak, man. Like again, It's hard like, and bleak. I mean, it, it's all on the humans. You know, they explicitly say, shoot to kill. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen what they do to people who even tried nonviolent resistance before. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something about the fact that, you know, this is such a recognizably modern setting that allegorically there's nowhere to hide we're watching a police riot yeah in a modern metropolis you know it's not on horses it's not in the forest that veneer of imagining that it's some other distant place is just gone well and also i kept thinking a like couldn't you have done without your cats and dogs (laughs) but apparently not apparently not but also b you know, at the beginning, there's all this talk about the cats, the, the great pet crisis <laughs> that, that necessitated uh, going simian nuts and then taking it a step further as opposed to not just keeping them as pets because they're the ones that won't die, but then like forcing them into servitude. Hmm. Uh, all of this could have been avoided if you just done the one thing that the good doctor from, not the good doctor, the asshole doctor, but the doctor from the last movie was trying to avoid at all costs. Yeah. Don't allow the simians to multiply. Yes. Yeah, which again, I mean, it, it's... It 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 still it's still asking questions, which it, which why again it's such a shame that that they had the cop out ending because it, it's it's really nice that McDonald you know turns turns on Caesar somewhat and says, you know, we we demand you know we demand to be treated yeah equal you know we still demand to be treated equally you can't be our oppressors we understand that you you know we can't oppress you but you can't be our oppressors. Um, because because that's the same you know it's the same complicated position that people like Hasline are in in the previous movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a shame that that becomes tied up with nonsense. Um, and there's a kind of general bloodlessness about the violence. Yeah. But when we do get blood, it's like it's the same in Escape from the Planet of the Apes. It's gory. Yeah. Like you see, office an officer's blood spray at one point. Like, as if he's in a slasher movie or something. Or and, like well, the me- makers like of these streets. films were always super concerned thing. about keeping them G-rated, and it's hard for me to imagine... Well, this one failed. Right. The first one to fail yeah. to do that. And they left a lot on the cutting room But appropriately floor. so, like... <laughs> well, they left a lot on the cutting room Because that last well. movie's ending is bleak enough and gory enough to... to... 
in my mind, to make it a PG-rated yeah. movie. I mean... Yeah, in the, in the normal non-1970s version of things, yes. Yeah. There's... Uh, <laughs> these are, The past two movies are definitely not G-rated movies. But uh, I guess I guess the proximity to, you know, everyday reality is probably what mm-hmm. skewed things here. Yeah. I think. Um, you know, that it was so... That it was so clearly about the kind of violence that people had lived through for the past 10 years. Right. The fact that they were using, imagistically using the Watts riot as a as a template for how the riot goes down that people would have seen on TV. Mm-hmm. Kent State is still in recent Kent, right, memory. Right. So you know, this is like the sequel to that Kent State moment from Beneath the Planet of the Apes. It's like, we're not even saying, you know, we're not even just saying there will be martyrs. We're creating martyrs. We're mm-hmm. showing what actually happened. What Kent happened State. to them, right. We're not just, you know, speaking to it. We're showing it. Uh, it's... It just all builds to this. And then added on to that is Breck's monologue about, you know, we, you know, we're it's like, why are you oppressing us? It's like, because, you know, this is the beast within us that we have to control. Right. Which is, you know, colonialism 101. Yeah, man, ups it's the bleakness. Why it's, it's like, it's, it's like a <laughs> like the... history of ethnic subjugation. It's, yeah. it's like... But this um, idea of shrugging your shoulders like it's what we have to do yeah <laughs> like is man that idea of turning it's t- i really like the writing move of turning it inwards on you know we're trying to control ourselves mm-hmm. by controlling you um it's and, it, and you know if if it's the final nail in the coffin of any al- allegorical dimension to the series <laughs> right. you know because it's sort of saying you are, you, you know, you are the beast within us. You are. Well, um, that's my last note. I mean, my last note is, uh, you know, the nature of man. Yeah. This movie is is positing uh, what the nature of men and, like, white men in particular to be. I, I love, you know, now the apes have kind of taken control. Yeah, what do they you think have... of Caesar's last speech? Well, do you know the background to this? Uh-uh. Okay, so the ending as written is pretty much everything that we see except any note of reconciliation. Mm. He gets up there, he says, Planet of the Apes is here. Yeah. Uh, where are you going to become your oppressors? Good luck to and you. And that's it. <laughs> and then the studio, and I think probably writers and directors, demanded a... They tested. They tested this. It was considered too incendiary, so they they sent Roddy McDowell back into the studio to record extra dialogue. Hmm. So you'll notice at one point where the reshoot starts, because we only see Caesar's eyes. Eyes. Yeah. We don't see his mouth, and there's an overdub where you can sort of hear the studio in the background. Right, and that's all of him. You know, all that dialogue is him saying, "But we must learn." You know, try to live with humans first. It was all added on, and it's really sad to me. And it's it's why this this ranks so low. Ultimately, why this ranks so low for me because yeah. I admire the hell out of this movie. Um, 
because without that, it's a perfect yeah. ending to a Planet of the Apes movie. It sews up the timeline. Mm-hmm. It shows us how Planet of the Apes started, basically. It's appropriately bleak, bleak and tragic in the Especially spirit of the for series. Especially for this series, right. All the themes and images are there. They're holding up the, you know, the, 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 um, the firearms, the fire, just as yeah. the gorillas did. But they decide to walk it back and then add in uh, Lisa talking. Right. Which is a complete reverse of the mythology. Well, like a re-reversal of the mythology that was already reversed about apes talking. (laughs) Exactly. And then that part, because Caesar, like voicing this peaceful alternative, doesn't fit the movie. It doesn't look like it's got a part of it. And then the rest of the movie is all speaks to the original ending. You know, where he says it's the beginning of the Planet of the Apes. The music gets super ominous. The (laughs) acting, the visuals, everything is telling us that this this is a totally bleak ending. Um, And then we get silent credits again. Mm -hmm. Like the only... Well, I know this is not why they did it, but the only slight justification for this change is it sets up the next movie better. It sets it up does. battle better. Yeah, but you could. I think you could. Walk but you could have easily. Back. Yeah, done that exactly. Itself. You could have retconned that in the movie itself. Um, but it just it's come so close to especially of... with who Caesar is as a character. Yeah, with him yeah. as your leader. Yeah, and I, I makes if you kept with that original ending, it it it, it makes what he goes the the struggles he goes through in battle have a lot more weight mm-hmm. because we know he's not necessarily dis- we would know he's not necessarily decided he wants to live in an egalitarian society right which is kind of which makes more sense he's he's still on the fence about whether humans will be a part of his utopia at all um uh, so yeah it's a <laughs> it's a real shame and also you know it's particularly badly executed which uh, makes it like a lot of things in which this makes movie, it suffer laughable right. laughable where it shouldn't be laughable um so that's but you know kudos for getting i mean there's there's also another there's also another moment here when we see how the government in the society works mm-hmm. i mean you know for, there's the there's the kind of sci-fi element which is the kind of Nazi-like dress and the representation of a fascist police state. Right. But then there's all the things that are going on in government that are just, you know, like that we find out from stuff like HBO's The Wire. They're just like duking all the stats. Yeah, right. Of like how many protests there are, whether this protest was resolved. And so it's engaging in a really specific, detailed way with what's going on socially and politically around us. Um, and then you get stuff like the authenticator. Well, what's that about? Right. Why didn't they use that at, at the, the beginning? Very beginning? <laughs> you could have got the information out of it that you wanted to get. Immediately. It's also interesting, like, introduced in this movie is the villain of the next movie, which I find fascinating. Yeah, I like that. Culp. Well, and... but I think they wanted Don Murray Breck, uh, or Don Murray as Breck back, and McDonald, yeah, and they got neither, <laughs> and they got neither, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so they had to deal with with the B team, but it's interesting that like 
he's the moderately fearsome character in the mm-hmm. movie. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if, you know, because battle was so specifically meant to um to be a family friendly alternative to this movie. I wonder whether they went with him because he's like, well, he's moderately fearsome. He's not too villainous, <laughs> not too char- like He's just perfect, perfectly right for a movie where we don't want to take any chances. Um, I just, I, it's it's very interesting addition, right, to the cast. I mean, li- literally, they're like the in the next movie, they're the leftovers. <laughs> I know, but I still love it. <laughs> Oh no, I'm not I don't I don't think that element of it is bad. All right. Well, um anything left for you? Uh, yeah, I don't think so. I think it all I think we've we've uh, delved as deeply in that as it, as it goes. There's probably I'm... more, but Yeah, but That's all I had. I mean, the t- it's so funny to me that this movie is at the bottom of my list and yet the ideas and behind it are so strong. Is it bleak? Do you think it's bleaker than Beneath the Planet of the Apes? No. <laughs> I I mean I agree. No movie is, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm struggling to find you know what the ray of light is in this movie. The, the, the yeah, but that depends on who you are in your experience. Like you said, the people yeah. in Inglewood were, yeah, you know, yeah, that's were, true. Yeah, so yeah, it's 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 speaking for underrepresented communities, right? So that's that's where yeah. that's where my mind went when you asked the question was, uh, not for too you know for too many people, no. So <laughs> yeah. for too many people, this is uh, the beginning of of uh, a yeah. life without oppression. Yeah, and they Which win, for them is know? a good... Th- yeah, they yeah. win. They win. That's As crazy. opposed to blowing up the planet. <laughs> well, that's the next stage, isn't it? It's like, actually, none of this matters. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Rod Serling and out. Done. <laughs> Fake Rod Serling. Yeah. <laughs> Fake oh, that's Orson great. Wells, Rod Serling. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you have something to add for Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, you're going to have to let us know. Find us on Did Facebook. Did your mother drag you out of a movie theater in Ohio? <laughs> yeah, we want to know from you. Were you in Inglewood when <laughs> when, <laughs> when we nearly, nearly created a riot in 1972? Please find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and let us know. You can send an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Say goodbye to us, Tom. The beast must be whipped. Love it. <laughs> Don't whip your beast. I thought I was waiting a second there because I thought you were going to give us to the into submission. <laughs> Oh! <laughs> oh, so, sorry. That's quite all right. All right. I was. I teed that up for you. Yeah. All right, everyone. Take care. Next up, you'll be hearing Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Who will win? Stay tuned. <laughs>